Well, hi there. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Firehouse Forum podcast. I'm David Timberline, Community Engagement Manager at Firehouse Theater. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We have got two incredible guests, uh, two real heavy hitters, and I'm very excited that they will both be talking to us today about their projects. First, we'll have Nathaniel Shaw. He is the Artistic Director at Virginia Repertory Theater, and he is opening River Diddy this weekend. Uh, it's a world premiere new show, has a blockbuster cast, so he'll be talking about that. We also have Michael Jarrett, who is basically the lighting designer for almost every show that is opening right now, except for River Diddy. I specifically asked him in to talk about The Normal Heart, but we'll be talking about his career as a lighting designer designer. And um, we're very excited about that. A couple very quick uh, housekeeping notes. This weekend opening at Firehouse is One in Four. It's the latest production from New Puppies who did Seven Brides for Seven Brothers last year. And it's a very cool, interesting little show. So I hope you'll come out for that. Also on Saturday, we have a gathering called First Drafts and Bagels. Come in on Saturday at noon and have some bagels and experience some first drafts of some new work. Uh, one more thing. Next week on Tuesday, the 24th, Matt Venuti, a multi-instrumentalist, will be here at Firehouse in concert at 7.30. So you can see all the details at our website, firehousetheater.org. But now we'll start our conversation with Nathaniel. We are here with Nathaniel Shaw, who is the Artistic Director at Virginia Repertory Theater. Uh, everybody knows Nathaniel, so I'm not going to give you a big, <laughs> long re resume because that's going to take 10 minutes. But most recently, he directed In the Heights. Uh, he directed in the, war, um, the End of War. He directed Peter and the Starcatcher. And he is preparing to open up River Diddy, a world premiere new work at Virginia Rep this weekend. Yeah, April 20th, oh opening night of a world premiere. That's right. That's, all, that's days away. How days are you feeling away. about it? I'm feeling great. Yeah? Yeah, it's just amazing to watch the team at Virginia Rep put the finishing touches on things and um, working with, you know, really working with a scalpel oh, at yeah. this point. Right. Really fine detailing and the transition work. And okay. it's just incredibly exciting. And, and this piece has taken us you know, six plus years to get here. Yeah, well, and I wasn't, re I realized that you did a workshop like a year and a half ago. Yeah. But it's been longer than that in development. Yeah, so this play, we, we started development in earnest on this play in 2012 okay. with my little theater company in New York, the Active Theater. Right. Saw multiple periods of development in New York. Made a trip to the Fulton Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania when I was working there as an actor. Um, for a period of development as well there under the leadership of Mark Robin, fantastic art artistic director at the Fulton. Mm -hmm. And then again came back to New York under the watchful eye of Glass Half Full Productions, which is the Broadway producer we're collaborating with okay. on this world premiere. Did some table work there before we did the workshop in, in Richmond. So it, it really is an army, a small yeah, army really. of people that have intersected with this play at this point. And in that period of time, has it gone through dramatic changes? Has it been, uh, you're shaking your head. <laughs> this dramatic is, changes. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the core of the story was always there, but it's been an interesting evolution to watch it sort of absorb events mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the history of our last six years. Yeah. You know? uh, 
with each small political turn, it seems like we're able to wrap that and envelop that into the story because the story really is an American folktale. So when we bump into a new historical event, somehow we're able to kind of gently incorporate that into the fabric of the play. But characters have changed. Characters Mm. have come and gone. There used to be a character that was interspersed almost between every scene, monologuing about his life experience, this old man by the river, uh, talking about his life. All of that's been taken out of the play. So so dramatic changes over six years of work. Wow. And so this is centered around the Mississippi River mm-hmm. and starts in New Orleans and, as I understand, moves the, the two main characters move to Arkansas or are on the run, basically? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. They're on the run. They're fleeing a violent past. Okay. They're fleeing a, a, a family history that they want to escape from. Mm-hmm. And they, they set off in the boxcar of a train okay. on a journey and they get derailed in their journey, literally derailed, really? okay. and, then, <laughs> and then lost hopping trains. Um, so, yes, the, it starts in New Orleans. My my brother Matthew Mooney Kiter, the playwright, was living in New Orleans when he started his very first writings mm-hmm. of this project. And it started more as a poem or short story and has evolved into a play. And he started writing in New Orleans, wandering the, the banks of the river and, and trying to figure out in his own life how he, how he fled a life that felt, you know, depressed or the, or the pain of the current existence. And how do you flee and how do you find happiness? Hmm. And so he started dreaming up the story that ran up the Mississippi instead uh-huh. of down to yeah. New Orleans, ran up the Mississippi. And, and the characters happened to land in this particular iteration uh, along the banks of the Mississippi. Mississippi between Arkansas and Tennessee. Okay. Well, and I saw you did a great video preview. Um, I've seen it on the website Mm -hmm. um, where you and your brother are talking about the development. And I think your brother at one point says he thinks that this is a the perfect place and the perfect time for this show to be premiering. And I was, it seems like a very distinctly Southern story, you know, New Orleans and Arkansas. It is, is it, a Southern story. I mean, the locations are Southern, but hopefully we are looking at a lot of the contemporary issues we're grappling with right now. Okay. I mean, it was very in, gradual, but became very intentional to say, this is an American folktale that examines our history of violence and bigotry. Okay. And and let's look at that through this period lens, through the lens of the folktale, through the lens of Americana. Okay. To talk about the things that we want to be talking about now, to right. join the conversations that seem to be um, happening in this country and seem to be um, moving at a pace now, galloping at a pace right. that is challenging and unsettling, but also very invigorating. The main characters, it's an interracial couple played by Katrina Carol Lewis. Interracial brother-sister. Brother-sister. Yeah, so not a romantic coupling, but a black woman and a white man who grew up together as children. Okay, that's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, the racial tensions are going to be one of the issues that are Mm -hmm. going to be explored. Mm -hmm. Does it seem particularly important to have it in the capital of the Confederacy? Or is that just kind of, that's where we are, so that's where it's going to be? You know, I think that that particular thing is that's a little more where we are, and so that's where it's going to be. One of the, rather than politically charged elements that excite me about premiering this at Virginia Rep 
one of the nicer elements about premiering at a Virginia Rep is the fact that Virginia Rep is this product of a merger between Theater 4 and Barksdale Theater Company. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in the play in which Arlo, the character played by Matt Polson, says, I've tried, but I can't think of a better way to live a life than telling stories to children. And I think of the theaters that merged to form Virginia Rep, Barksdale Theater Company and Theater 4, and Theater 4's devotion to telling stories to children. Mm. And that is still a part of the makeup of Virginia Rep. And I think of Phil Whiteway and Bruce Miller and how much of their career was devoted to telling stories to children to play their part in making the world just a slightly better place. Mm -hmm. And that's been at the core of Theater 4 and now remains at the core of Virginia Rep. And to to do this world premiere about a children's book author fleeing his violent past and violent history, and he's going to do his part in the world and make it a little bit better by telling stories to children. Hmm. And to have that premiere at a theater in which that is such a central part of the legacy is a really beautiful thing to me. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things that I read about this production is there's a folk duo called Red Tail Ring that is specifically involved in the development yeah. process. Yeah. So is there mu- are they going to be playing live as part of the show? Is it How is this collaboration working? with them. Yeah, we've considered in the past productions of River Ditty that has folk musicians on stage. And I do think there's a version of that that could exist. That's not this production. Okay. This production is all recorded music. uh, But we did commission one new recording from Red Tail Ring. We found a Stephen Foster song, Some Folks Do, that felt like something that was so perfect to to capture the... um, point of view of Arlo, our central character, and kind of kick off the journey Hmm. that he and Sunshine are on at the top of the play in reaching for positivity through an incredible obstacle of a challenging past. And so Red Tail Ring actually came to my attention via our dramaturg, Jane Mattingly, who's an MFA candidate at VCU, fantastic dramaturg. If you're a theater artist working in this community and you need a dramaturg, (laughs) Jane, Jane Mattingly should be your first call. And we were trying to identify just the right music to help with the transitions and set the tone. And she mentioned, she said, Had, have you ever heard the music of Red Tail Ring? Mm. And instantly, I clicked on their website and it said something like, da-da-da, old time roots, new time sound. Okay, yeah. And that's exactly what River Diddy's trying to do. It's trying to be a classic, uh, a play set in our past in American folklore, looking at contemporary issues. And then vocally, it's a male and female duo. which perfectly ties into Arlo and Sunshine and the journey that they're on. And and I I think if you come and see the production, you'll find that their music is the uh, eighth character of the play. (laughs) And collaborating with them on on the recording of Some Folks Do really was a, a, a beautiful, beautiful, brief, but beautiful collaboration to get just the right tone okay. for that song and then utilizing uh, the canon of their music throughout to capture the rest of the transitions has been a lot of fun and a great uh, thing for Derek Dumay, our sound designer, and I to work on together. Oh, great. Well, I'm a big Americana fan, so that's yeah. another reason I'm looking forward to yeah. the show. Yeah, it's great music. They're great. Well, one of your foci of going forward <laughs> seems to be on new work, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Um, <laughs> At Virginia Rep, it's foci. There's always a lot of right. things going on. Um, so 
in the past year you've done In the Heights, which is, you know, an awesome show, but it's also, you know, it's 10 years old now. It's not yeah. like brand new. Yeah. Um, you're going to be doing West Side Story, which is yeah. a true classic coming up yeah. in the summer. You do, you know, Virginia Rupp does great jobs with these, you know, wonderful dream girls. You know, all I could keep sure. on going, all the great shows that you've done. Um, why not just keep doing those? I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Sure. Why, why, why do you need to develop new work? We've got a lot of great things, you know, that you can draw from already. Right. Well, I think there's a lot of things that motivate that. One is giving back. Hmm. That might be the most central thing. I mean, all of us have, as theater artists in this community, in any community, and the entirety of my career is is because of the phenomenal canon of work of the artists who came before. Mm-hmm. And a desire now, both institutionally and personally, uh, more importantly, institutionally, is to give back, is to contribute, is yeah. to say this body of work, the, the craft of others that have fed us, nourished us, both artistically and financially and <laughs> in every other way you can imagine, this body of work that has added so much to our incredibly vibrant city and community, uh, it's time for us to contribute to that. Hmm. So I, I feel it's essential as theater artists move forward in their lives that at least some of us are willing to devote the time and energy and resources and the blood, sweat, and tears necessary <laughs> to contribute to the canon. So I think that's an, an important thing. If you've scoured the website, you would know in the existing in the existing mission statement is a comment about striving to be a theater of national significance. Right. When we look at theaters of national significance, we think one of the one of those hallmark identifiers. Yes. Mm-hmm. is theaters that contribute to the canon right. of new plays and and create the time and space and energy necessary to support artists in right. that endeavor. So that is certainly one of the driving forces. And probably the lesser known is the potential economic benefit right. for a theater down the road. It is still show business, right? So we've <laughs> sure. gotta we've gotta take care of the business as well. Right. So in any new work that a theater develops, there's the opportunity to carve out percentages of the future of that piece. Right. So, you know, who knows what the future of River Diddy is? I personally believe it has the potential to have a very bright future. Yeah. Who knows exactly what the future of The End of War is? David Robbins' world premiere from last year, but I am still in contact with people trying to create next steps for that piece. Um, and you don't know when you're going to develop a Jersey Boys right. or develop, sure. you know, something that has that kind of life, the scale of that. But if you do, you know, your theaters right. won a small lottery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and and you, we seem to, I mean, maybe this is just my perspective, but we, we seem to see things happen like that not infrequently these no, days. I mean, not at Signature all. Theater in Alexandria mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. shows that, you know, went north. Or yeah. I mean, the regional theater is an essential part of the pipeline. Mm of a new play that that finds its way to Broadway or the West End or whatever the life of that particular play wants to be. And I do think in recent years, producers have been opening up their minds and their pocketbooks, but <laughs> their minds to different paths, right. not, not feeling beholden to, oh, a play must take this exact trajectory and go to this exact regional theater, but let's explore different ways. Let's yeah. open up the doors to other regional theaters that want to go on this adventure with us. Right, so which is great I think for I think it's exciting. And, you know, I will say, too, that 
<clears throat> while we are bringing in more and more uh, collaboration from the outside in relation to Broadway producers and playwrights and composers um, that we're excited by that are outside of the Richmond market, this remains a theater that is devoted to the incredible talent that mm. exists in Richmond. And working with actors and designers and others in our community on the development of a new play, mm -hmm. it's also an incredibly invigorating thing for the artists. Oh, sure. Well, and the, the cast for this show is kind of phenomenal. All of the, That's a great all the big hits from <laughs> the big hitters <laughs> yeah. um, from in town, including Scotty Witchman and Alexander Sapp, mm -hmm. uh, Matt Polson, Katrina Carol Lewis. It just goes on. I wanted to ask you kind of a personal professional uh, question, which is, you know, you're working with your brother on this. Yeah. I've got three siblings. <laughs> I don't know that I could handle necessarily all the dynamics that involve in mixing professional mm -hmm. and personal. Is that a problem for you? Has there been any moments of tension in this six-year journey? No, of course not. <laughs> it's gone so Yeah, smoothly. no, hourly, hourly. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we come from that. So my, mm -hmm. my mother, Elena Mooney, was one of the most beautiful modern dancers I know and danced the bulk of her career for my father, Cliff Kiter. My dad, Cliff Kiter, danced for Paul Taylor, as I did, were the only parent-child combination to pass through that, that company, uh, and then ventured off and started his own dance company in New York and had met my mother, Elina Mooney, at a very young age. And she did the bulk of her dancing for my father. Mm. And I think it was both the most beautiful uh, collaboration to be doing that with, with, with your spouse and somebody you love so dearly, and also the most challenging, right. you know, and the work comes home with you. You can't, <laughs> you can't help it right. as much as you try to com compartmentalize, perhaps. So we grew up in that model a little bit. But yeah, of course, we are both very uh, strong-willed, determined. I think we both have our strong, a strong vision. I think there is some sort of genetic understanding that I have of what he's striving for mm -hmm. in his writing. I think I am the perfect sounding board for him. Hmm. But every project we've done together, and there's been several, has its ups and downs and bumps and bruises. Right. But But I will say that there is no one just inherently in the fact that we're siblings, there is no artist I'm going to devote myself as passionately to as I will the work of my brother. Okay. And that is reciprocated. And so there are probably times in the life of River Diddy that had it been another playwright, we might not have seen it through. But here we are, you mm -hmm. know, a few days from an opening night in collaboration with a Tony Award winning producer at a regional theater of, you know, that is that is elevating its national profile. And we've gone on this journey stride for stride, step for step together. And um, I, I really wouldn't have it any other way. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Hal Prince recently turned 90 and he mm. did a, a great interview with The Guardian and he said something about new work specifically that was, um, he said, audiences are quite willing to go where they've never been before, but producers are not willing to take them there. Is that something that you've seen and that you're maybe pushing against a little bit or, you know, what's your perspective on that? Well, you know, I, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a challenge in the business and 
I feel for the Broadway producer. Mm. I mean, just the the economic model has gotten so, so expensive. Right. I mean, they're, they have to raise millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, in his article, he's, he compared $800,000 when they were opening, I think, West Side Story but, mm. and said that would be $20 million in modern yeah. currencies. Crazy. And just look at the number of names above the title compared right. to what it used to be. It used to be a producer or a producer or two above the title title and now you might have a handful above the title but then you flip back a few pages <laughs> in your playbill and there's 12 more right. it takes so many people raising a lot of capital to make it happen so i understand the the desire and need to find that thing that you know is going to have a return on investment for mm. your investors that that makes perfect sense it is show business right. And uh, if something doesn't wrong, run long enough and you don't have a return on investment, you're not going to have investors. Right. So I feel for the Broadway producer, but I think when you look at the things that are great successes and actually end up having huge runs and huge return on investment, mm -hmm. they tend to be the things that are adventurous. Right. They tend to be the things that slightly break the mold. Yeah. They tend to be the things that force you to look at things from an angle that you had not yet looked at them. So finding collaborators and finding producers that are willing to take that risk for the potential benefit of adding to the canon, for the potential benefit of doing something of significance, and yes, for the potential benefit of the financial reward at the mm -hmm. finish line, is a really important part of new work. And as Virginia Rep invests more and more in new work, we, we need to continue to find and foster those relationships with the producers that want to take those adventures. Well, break a leg. Thank you. I know this, it feels like it's, really just one step in the midst of a huge journey, but I know it's kind of a big one. So. It's a big step in a huge journey, but it's a journey I know will continue. All right. Well, uh, everybody go see River Diddy opening this weekend. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thanks so much. All right. Okay, we're back with Michael Jarrett, lighting designer extraordinaire. <laughs> how you doing, Michael? Good. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks for coming in. I was going to give some kind of background and resume thing, but the thing is, again, that would be one of those 10-minute things. <laughs> so what I will say is that between Romeo and Juliet at Quill, Legally Blonde for Spark, Pump Boys and Dinettes for uh, Fifth Wall, Moth at Theater Lab, Normal Heart at R Richmond Triangle Players, Appropriated Cadence Theater Company, that's just a subset of what you've done in April. Yes. <laughs> So I, my, I'm a little dazzled and befuddled by all of that activity. I was looking for somebody to interview about the normal heart at Triangle Players, and it's like, you're doing everything. So is that like that level activity of activity? Is that something you strive for or, are you know, really enjoy? Or is it something you're trying to get through so you can get some rest? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, oh, okay. I like staying busy. Um, I like working with lots of people in town. Um, I have lots of really great close working relationships, and I have a hard time saying no uh -huh. when I think I can squeeze it in. <laughs> so. Okay. Do you ever walk in? I mean, do you walk into Theater Lab with a plot for Triangle Players going, oh, oops, I'm... <laughs> or... Not so much live plots, it's more live board numbers. Oh, really? Like programming four shows in the same week with different setups is sometimes confusing. It's like, yeah. where am I? What numbers belong to this theater? And Right. Well, and you're also teaching classes at for Theater VCU. Theater VCU and VCU Dance. And VCU Dance. Yeah. So, uh, we're, there's only so many hours in the day. We're, True. <laughs> well, and you were just mentioning, too, you work out of town as well. Yeah. So, 
Are you really, really organized to get all these things done? I'm very organized. I think I'm also really good at like getting to the heart of like what the show is and what it needs so I can make decisions quickly. Okay. And um, one of the benefits of working at VCU is I have a lot of interested students who want to work. So I employ yeah. them. Okay. Um, and if I can't like stay for all the dress rehearsals, I'll have a student assistant stay to do the cleanup as things are working towards opening. So oh, that, that's nice. And if they need me, they know they can call me and I can go in during the day. But at least somebody's there at the show to keep an eye on it and okay. maintain the design. You have minions. That's good. That's what Gary Hopper likes to call them. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I was going back and looking at your work that I've seen. And I specifically raved about your lighting in It Should Have Been You at Triangle Players a couple of years ago. And part of my impression was just that the lighting was one of those situations where the lighting was almost another character. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were just sets that were bathed in light and shot uh, spotlights on um, Greg Garrett at different times that just really enhanced the production. And I'm curious whether, you know, for some, in some shows, it seems like the role of the designer is to be almost transparent, like not be obvious. Other times it seems like it should have been you. It was like, the lights to me were just very prominent. Is that something that happens with your input or the director, or is it a collaborative It's thing? a collaboration. I'll usually go in knowing, like, is it a show where we want to, like, notice lights, or is it more of a supporting thing? Like, I did Legally Blonde for VCU this fall, and that was a show about oh, we want to see lights. There were, like, 800 light cues, and it was just oh, wow. really in your face with the music. And then other shows, especially plays, not so much. Like, the normal heart is lights up on the scene, lights down on the scene. Okay. But I think I'm good at getting, like, what does the show need, and I don't want to be distracting from it. Because okay. everybody's like, you like lots of like use, and like it depends. It's it's not like I have to have eight hundred like use. It's if I could do it in thirty like use, great. If I need eight hundred, then I'll I'll do the eight hundred. It just depends. Okay, so you're basically serving the work. Serving the work, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there ever you don't have to speak out of school or anything? But is there ever <laughs> tension in that where a director was like, we need to do blah, and you're like, um, that's going to be too much, or I'd really like to pump it up here, but the director doesn't want to. Is there any of that? sometimes? And then it's like, well, let's look at it your way. Let's look at it my way, and. Mm-hmm. And see what maybe works better, and then maybe we try something in the middle, or maybe neither idea is good, and we try a third idea that we hadn't thought okay. about. All right. So you've direct or you've uh, lit three of the two handers at Theater Lab, right? Yes. Yes. Um, last five years, Moth, and it, I want to pray for you so hard. Yep. Is there something so? Those were staged, you know, very particularly so that audience was on either side of the set. <laughs> Is that a specific challenge for a lighting designer? It definitely is, because yeah. um, I don't want to point lights at the audience on the other right. side. Right. So it's a challenge to like, light the people, but not have it spill. I know Matt Schaffner was sort of impressed during the last five years. He's like, the light just stays on the stage and doesn't spill out, which is really great and keeps the focus in. Right. So that's definitely a challenge to how do I light this and light them and keep it contained to the, the world of the show and not light up the audience. <laughs> right. Well, as an audience member, I appreciate that because I've had lights in my eyes before and it's yeah. not Yeah, I don't fun. like that. So I try to avoid that whenever possible. <laughs> right. Well, you also uh, lit uh, Murder Ballad at Infusion. Yes. Infusion, I never can say that right. Which seemed to me, from a sound standpoint, was a very difficult room to, to work in. Was it similar for lighting? It was. When I went to visit Infusion, I got excited by all the stuff in the air, and then a lot of it ended up not working, and I had to bring in everything to light the show. Hmm. And I didn't necessarily have enough to cover the space, so Lucian and I had to talk really specifically about, so where are they going to be so that I could make sure I cover all the pathways, because I just don't have enough gear to like light the entire space up. Yeah, that well, that seemed to me like similar to the challenge with the, the two-handers is that Audience is everywhere. Audience is everywhere. Actors are everywhere. And it's like, can we cheat the actor here a little bit just to get them to this light? Can I add a light over there for that moment? So we sort of worked really well together to make the compromises to make it work with what we had. Yeah, well, it was. It turned out 
pretty darn It well. did. I, I like that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was uh, looking into your, your history, and um, you got your undergraduate degree here at University of Richmond. I did. And then you went off to the big wide world um, and got your MFA at Brandeis. Yes. Um, so what made you decide to come back? After uh, go, you know, well, and then you worked in New York. For I worked in New York for a little while. Um, I needed a job and the VCU job opened up at the right time. Um, and I have a lot of family in town and my, my grandma got very upset with me when I um, left town. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the job opened up and it was sort of like a perfect alignment because I, I didn't know what I was doing next. And um, this job opened up at VCU and Myra Dowling, who used to be the director of dance at University of Richmond, told me about it and said, I'll write you a letter. And I said, great. Okay. So, so yeah, so it all just sort of worked out at the perfect time. Was there any sense of regret of like leaving the whole New York hustle bustle behind? I was actually getting ready to do that anyway. Because oh, really? uh, if you haven't lived in New York, it's rather stressful because yeah. I feel it's like having three jobs, you're working and then you're commuting around New York and then you're looking for the next gig. Right. Yeah. So, so nice to be in sleepy little Richmond, right? <laughs> yes. And it's expensive to live in New York too. So, yeah, well, yeah. And then I was living in New York and not working in New York. So that didn't make a lot of sense. Oh, really? So doing a lot of out of town. I was doing a lot of out of town stuff and paying New York rent. I'm like, I'm never here. So why am I yeah. doing this? So, right. for somebody who's worked at, you know, the Kennedy Center, well, let's see, you've worked at the Lincoln Center. That's what I was thinking of. New York City Opera, New York City Ballet. Are there, you know, you've also worked at the Firehouse, which is our, you know, nice, cute little theater here. So is there dramatic differences or do you face the same challenges in a monstrous New York facility and a like a cozy little Richmond one? Every space has its challenges. I think it's sort of unique to the space, the people and the companies. I just sort of embrace what those are in the space that I'm in. Okay. Um, so like in New York, as just a designer, I was an intern. You can't touch anything. Okay. So it's very <laughs> sort of hands off. And I had to like be like, I need a union stagehand to hit this list switch because I'm not allowed to touch it. Right. So it's like learning that mentality that here it's like get up on the ladder, hang your lights, plug them in. <laughs> very which is also great. So yeah. well so very followed by the follow the rules very strictly, but then also on the other side, I mean, being was, able to get your hands dirty and get Yeah, and I'm it. and I don't mind. I'm happy to jump in if it needs help. If somebody else could do it great and mm -hmm. if I need to get in and do it. Right. So I try not to commit to things that I know I would need help doing. So if it comes out to it, I could do it by myself. But okay. it's always great to have extra hands and cool. support. <laughs> uh, well, and you also do a lot of lighting of dance performances. Yes. So what are what are some of the different challenges in lighting dance versus theater? Oh, this is great. I'm teaching a class about this right now. <laughs> okay. Well, can you condense <laughs> yes. the whole class in 30 seconds? <laughs> I, I can't. Um, Dance is a lot about the whole body. Theater is a lot about like faces. Theater, mm -hmm. you have a script where you have specific given circumstances like time of day, inside, outside. They have to follow dance is more free form. Okay. Dance is also not usually complete until the last minute. Wow. All right. So like with our current senior project concert this week at VCU, a lot of the dances are still getting worked on and not really finished. Okay. So I may not see the final version until opening night on Thursday. <laughs> wow. So, so, does, so does that mean you're coming to every performance to see how it's moving and changing? To Yeah, I'm also the stage manager, so I have to. Oh. Okay. So I'm there anyway. So I'm designer, stage manager, technical director, and just sort of helping pull all the production elements together. Wow. You know, one of the things, it's it's kind of a corny question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So what are some of the biggest challenges you faced for, as a as a designer? A show that's either kind of been overwhelming or just a specific problem that you've had to solve? I think time is a big problem. Yeah. Uh, um, not having enough tech time and not really spending the time on that part of the show. Everybody just wants to like rush through tech and not like devote the time. Like actors, you get sure. four weeks of rehearsal. I would love more than four hours to like do my, <laughs> to add my piece of it into it. <clears throat> right. Because sometimes you don't get a chance. You try something that doesn't work and you don't know until it's too late that yeah, right. it doesn't work out. Well, all right. Well, so the normal heart, you say it's basically lights up, lights down. There wasn't anything. Uh, well, it's lights up, lights down. And we also have projections that I'm doing. Oh. 
Yeah. So, right. so finding those and programming those, and that that's the the challenge right now is technology. Oh, okay. <laughs> and computers and projectors not talking to each other correctly and trying mm-hmm. to troubleshoot all that. I, it seems to me, I mean, and maybe it's perspective of working with Tennessee here at Firehouse, but projections seem to be very popular right now. People yes. like are embracing them. Is that something you're excited about, or you you know miss? people who just want regular lighting or, you know, what, what's your, I think it's great. I don't think every show needs them. I think you have to sort of figure out where, where they can be helpful, where they can't be helpful. And then for me, I sort of approach it like how I would design lights for shows. Hmm. Okay. If different scenes, so not trying to overdo it, but like where would a good shift happen? Right. Where is it necessary? I do it in dance too. It's like, maybe we should project something for this dance piece. Maybe that would help. It just sort of depends on what it needs. But like a normal heart, we have a lot of locations. We have a unit set. So to help tell the story about all the different things. And we're also trying to educate the audience with some AIDS facts. Right. It covers a lot of time. So we want to make it real clear when each scene is taking place over the course of the show. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah, projections can definitely, they can definitely help (laughs) because we definitely put date years and dates up there so people can keep track of how this is evolving over time. Well, and I know with uh, John and Jen also at Hat Theater that you did, those were very kind of small, specific projections. It's not like they're watching the whole stage. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Interesting use of that. Okay. Well, The Normal Heart opens this weekend. Is that true? Yes. Preview is tomorrow night. It opens Thursday and... And runs for four weekends, I think. Okay. Well, I, I would say go see Normal Heart to see Michael Jarrett, but <laughs> go anywhere in, in town right now and you'll probably see Michael Jarrett's work. Uh, thank you for coming in and talking to us. Yes. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Nathaniel Shaw and Michael Jarrett, for coming in and talking about River Diddy opening this weekend at Virginia Repertory Theater and also The Normal Heart at Richmond Triangle Players uh, and Michael Jarrett's half dozen other shows that he's been working on. Uh, So thanks for tuning in to the Firehouse Forum podcast. We'll see you next week. 